So I hope you got your Bibles out again. Um, remember we're in Mark chapter 10 uh, from verse 17, so that's page 1002. Um, I'm not actually going to use as many slides today as I usually do, so it will um, be helpful to make sure you've got your Bible open. Um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, please now help us to see what's going on in the Scriptures, um, not just for understanding the words and the meaning, but for understanding their significance for our own lives and who we are and how we live. We know that's a work of your Holy Spirit, so we pray, Holy Spirit, be at work through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to ask you to think about this. Do you ever think that Jesus <clears throat> demands too much from you? Do you ever feel like you're doing your best and the more you get to know Jesus, the more it seems that he's just raising the bar a little bit higher and a little bit higher and a little bit higher so that it's never quite something that you, that you can get over? Um, ha- have a look at the passage that was read to us before that Nathan read. Um, Look at what Jesus requires of this young guy that he meets in Mark 10. This bloke, remember, is one of the good guys. Uh, Ever since he was a youth, around about 12 years of age, he's been a studious, careful, deliberate person when it comes to obeying God's commandments. And then Jesus says to him, Sorry, mate, that's not good enough. I want you to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come back and talk to me about whether or not you can get into heaven. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Really? Is that fair that he can do that? I certainly know the first time I preached on this little episode uh, in Jesus' life, one of the older guys in the congregation complained to me about exactly that. Um, We were shaking hands at the door after the service and Norm said to me, I don't think that was very fair of Jesus. That poor young man had done everything right. He'd obeyed all the commandments. And then Jesus gives him another thing to do. He didn't deserve that. You know, if that's what Jesus has done, then we have got a serious problem, haven't we? Because that means, if that's what's happening, that means that we can do everything right and Jesus might still surprise us right at the very end with an extra thing means we can potentially give up everything in order to serve God. We can devote ourselves to his kingdom, to God's church, to his purposes and in doing that miss out on a whole bunch of stuff that our colleagues and friends and family get to enjoy, sacrifice all of that for God and still find ourselves not having made the grade. Now if that's the way Christianity works... You've got to wonder why anybody would bother with it. Why would you serve someone who's got a reputation for changing the rules at the last minute? Because that's kind of what this looks like. This young man's obeyed everything and now Jesus is adding another burden, another expectation that wasn't there when he signed up. wasn't part of the, the fine print that he read so carefully in Sunday school. It's not fair that Jesus should add something more 
But is that what Jesus is doing? Is he actually doing that? Or is Jesus up to something else here? Is he perhaps revealing something that's lodged in this man's heart? Showing this man that even though he spent so much energy on being obedient, there's still something very serious that he needs to repent of if he wants to enjoy the glories of eternal life. Now, it's probably no surprise from that slide back there that I think it is the latter. It's, it's repentance. That's what this passage is about. Um, repentance is that word the Bible uses to describe turning away from sin. And so when you open up Mark chapter 10 and read these verses, you go, this is not a passage about repentance. It's certainly not a, a typical repentance passage because if repentance is turning away from sin, that's what this, boy's, this guy has been doing since he was a boy. But I think this passage is about repentance. This is a passage that shows repentance is not just about your actions, it's actually about the attitude of your heart, the, the orientation of your whole life. And that's what we're going to look at today. Repentance is not just about turning away from sins, but it's also about turning toward Jesus and turning toward God. You have to have the two things together, okay? Repentance and faith. They have to go together. In fact, we see that right at the very beginning of Mark's Gospel, the first words that Mark has on Jesus' lips. Um, so, actually, I said open up at Mark chapter 10. Go back to Mark chapter 1 for a minute. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus is beginning his ministry and he says to the crowds, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Something big is about to happen. So what do you have to do in response to that? He says two things, repent and believe the good news. That is, turn away from your sin and also turn toward God in faith. That's the core of Jesus' message. The two things always together, repent and believe. In fact, um, at the Mark drama last night, the, as the Jesus character comes into the, the action and he's speaking, that's the only thing he says for, for uh, the first few minutes. He's walking around preaching this message. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And the two go together, repentance and faith. You can't really have one without the other. What we're seeing in Mark chapter 10 is what happens when someone tries to live such a good life that they don't need to repent. Okay? In Mark chapter 10, we've got a guy who is trying to enter the kingdom of God by doing all the right things and by making sure he doesn't do any of the wrong things. That's his pathway in. And Jesus shows him that it doesn't work. So over the next few minutes as we look at that passage in Mark 10, I want to examine it from three different angles, three perspectives to show us how repentance is more than just turning away from the wrong things but how it's also about throwing ourselves onto God in faith. So first perspective, we'll see that what this man is trying to do is just impossible. Okay, Jesus says it's not possible to do your way into the kingdom of God. It's not possible to set up your life in such a way that you're so good you don't need to repent. Turn it around a little bit. Second perspective. See that repentance 
is actually something very different from being religious, being devoted. And then third perspective, flip it over, we'll see what it is that we're called to turn towards. So repentance and faith. What is it that we're to put our faith in? Jesus comes with good news saying, believe the good news. What is the good news to put our faith in? So let's start with that first perspective, um, the impossibility of what this man's trying to do. So back in chapter 10, page 1002 from verse 17. Have a look and pay attention to the question the man asks. So it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Um, Either he's about to do a fantastic guitar solo or it's a sign of devotion. I think it's the sign of devotion. He says to Jesus, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not a bad question, I suppose. The kind of question that spiritual seekers ask in all cultures all through the ages. What must I do to reach enlightenment? Uh, What must I do in order to find fulfilment and satisfaction? What's the formula for inner peace? How can I find that connection with divinity? In this man's words, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' answer to the man is that it can't be done. It's impossible to do your way into eternal life. Now, Jesus doesn't quite say that explicitly to the man, but you can see if you follow the conversation through from verse 22 onwards. So verse 22, the man goes away, he's sad, he's got much wealth. Then the disciples kind of turn to Jesus and go, what is happening here? Like if he can't be saved, who can possibly enter the kingdom? Jesus in verse 24 said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus says, it is so hard, it's easier for you to do something that is literally impossible. Uh, It is easier for you to try to squeeze a camel through that tiny little hole that's on the end of the needle that you use to sew up your clothes. It can't be done. It's just a physical impossibility. And the disciples see that, they understand that. Uh, This is not some tricky code where Jesus is saying, well, you know, it's difficult but it is actually possible. There are just certain conditions that you need to meet. Um, You'll hear various things about how it's not really about a camel through the eye of a needle but actually it is, isn't it? I mean, that's clear when you look at verse 27. Jesus is just using a vivid metaphor like we say, He doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell to describe something that can't be done. And so in verse 27, Jesus says, look, with man this is impossible. It can't be done. But that's not the case with God. God's different. All things are possible with God. You and I, we can't do our way into heaven any more than we can stick a camel through the eye of a needle. What you can't do is what this young man was hoping he could do. But the truth is, unless you're Jesus, it's just not possible to live a life that good. Now, the same idea, interestingly enough, comes in the passage just before 
the one that we're looking at. If you go back up to verses 14, 15, that kind of area, the children are coming to Jesus and Jesus uses the moment to teach the disciples about how you do enter the kingdom. So verse 15, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So entry into God's kingdom is not a a ladder of moral achievement that you ascend. It's a gift that you receive. It's impossible to enter the kingdom by just trying to do the right things and by trying to avoid the things that are wrong. That's the first perspective we get here in this passage. The second perspective is to realise that there's also a kind of repentance that's not really true repentance. There's a, there's a kind of turning away from sin that's not gospel repentance. A, a turning away from doing the wrong things that is not connected to a turning towards God in faith. Now that might look like repentance on the surface because you've got a person who's not doing a whole bunch of stuff. But actually it's really just a shift from one form of trusting in yourself to another form of trusting in yourself. So let's go back to the conversation and I'll show you. Uh, Verse 18, Jesus says to the young man, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. So there's that hint anyway that you, you can't be good enough to enter the kingdom. Then Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the guy says, teacher, All of these I've kept since I was a young boy. And Mark writes, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. I think what Jesus was saying is is something along these lines. And he says it to us as well. He says, look... Of course, if you want to follow me, there are things that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't defraud people. You shouldn't tell lies. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't commit murder or adultery. Of course, you shouldn't do those things. But if all you do, if all you do is just repent of doing bad things, then that won't do any more than make you a religious person. If, if you want eternal life, though, if you want to get rid of that nagging feeling that maybe... Maybe there's going to be another demand. Maybe there's something more I have to do. Then you've got to really change the way that you're thinking about your achievements, about your moral successes. If you want eternal life, you have to repent of the way that you think about the good things that you're doing. See, there's a really big difference between the kind of repentance that Jesus is calling for when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. There's a big difference between that kind of repentance and the kind of being religious that is about not doing the, right, the wrong things and doing lots of the right things. Christianity is not an invitation to get more religious. It's not about just turning away from those bad things and picking up new religious practices, it is, at its heart, it's about turning away from trying to be your own saviour and turning to God in faith and believing the good news that he is your saviour. 
It's about believing the good news that God's love for you is more powerful than anything you can possibly imagine and knowing him and being connected to him, belonging to him, that that's the greatest treasure in all the universe and throwing yourself onto that truth. So when Jesus tells this man, give up your possessions, it's not the one more thing that this guy has to do in order to qualify for eternal life. Jesus is saying it to reveal what's going on in his heart, to show this man who it is that he's put his faith in, who it is that he's pinned all his hopes on. And I think the truth is this man's pinned his hopes on himself. Now we see people do that in two ways in this world, I think. Uh, People will pin their hopes on themselves by being rebellious Or people will pin their hopes on themselves by becoming more religious. Some people just turn away from God completely. They're the rebels. They say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't think anyone should tell me how I should live my life. I get to make those decisions, nobody else. And so they rebel against God and they bet everything on the idea that they are going to be okay because they're in charge. The other way people... Um, pin their hopes on themselves is to become more religious, more moral. Kind of approach that says, if I work hard, I can live a better life. I can be more obedient, more moral than most of the other people around me. And if I'm good at that, then surely God is going to have to pay attention to me. God is going to owe me for all the things that I've done for him. Now, even though this person might seem incredibly devoted to God, they're actually devoted to themselves, aren't they? They've pinned their hopes on their own ability to do stuff that will make God listen to them. I think Mark 10 teaches us it's not enough to just repent of the bad things we've done. We also need to repent of that attitude of striving to be good enough for God, striving to impress God with our obedience. Because when we live like that, we diminish God, we shrink God down and make him small. Now, the rich young man is, is doing that, I think. He's living with God as his boss. And, of course, please don't get me wrong about this, God is your boss. You should live with God as your boss. But for this rich young man who meets Jesus, that seems to be all God is. God is the guy in the big office at the top who is going to examine his quarterly performance review when it lands on his desk and he's going to check the boxes and say, pass or fail. That's how this man thinks of God. He's the one who sets the standard he has to measure up to and that's about it. But what God is not for this young man is his treasure. What God is not for this young man is his great hope in life. God is not this man's fountain of joy to which he turns. When our repentance is just about turning away from wrong things, but it's not about running toward God, then we diminish God as well. When actually, we have every reason under the sun to run toward God to make God our treasure, to put all of our hope in him. And that's the third perspective that I want to look at now. So we'll go back to the passage and have a look at verse 21. Verse 21 of chapter 10. 
What point do you think Jesus is making at verse 21? What's he getting at when he tells this young man to sell everything he has and give it away to the poor? Is he saying that socialism's right and capitalism's wrong? That's the way some people read it. I don't actually think that is what Jesus is doing really. Jesus is exposing the true treasure of this young man's heart. And he's exposing the fact that it's not God. Um, One author has put it kind of like this. He says, it's like Jesus is saying to the man, I want you to imagine your life without money. I want you to imagine that you have no inheritance, no superannuation, there's no mansion anymore, no servants. You don't have anything at all. I want you to imagine a life where all you have is me, just me. And Jesus says to the man, can you live like that? That's the point of the question. And it's a good question. We should ask ourselves, if you have your health stripped away from you, if you lose all of your money, all your possessions, or if you suffer a head injury and you lose your intellect and your ability to do things that you just normally do without thinking about, if you lose your family, people who love you walk away from you and all you've got left is Jesus. Could you live like that? Let me turn that around the other way. If heaven meant you could have everything you've ever dreamt of but you could not have Jesus, would you want to be in heaven? If heaven meant you can have everything you've ever wanted but you just can't have Jesus, would you still want to be in heaven? What's the treasure of your heart? See, um, I don't know if you've noticed this but there are actually two rich young men in the passage in front of us and one of them really did give away everything that he had for the sake of the poor. See in verse 21 it says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Now, why is that particularly there? I think maybe it's because Jesus himself is a rich young man. Um, He's in his early 30s at this stage. Far, far richer than this other rich young man could possibly imagine because we know, don't we, that from all of eternity, Jesus has enjoyed the, the wealth and the glory and the love and the joy of being part of the Godhead of the Trinity. He's lived in the throne room of heaven. And he's already given much of that away. He's already given that up and become, been born a helpless child for our sakes, for the sake of us who are poor. And Jesus looks at this other rich young man in Mark chapter 10 and he loves him because he knows that as the rich, the ultimate rich young man, he is on his way to the cross. As the ultimate rich young man, he's on his way into deeper poverty than anyone has ever experienced. And he's doing it for us. He's doing it to give us his riches, to take us out of the pit and put us in the throne room of heaven. And that's the good news of the kingdom that Jesus wanted people to believe. That's what Jesus is calling us to pin our hopes on. 
So repentance, yes, repentance is turning away from sin and turning away from doing what's wrong. But it's also turning away from any hope that we have in our own ability to save ourselves. Repentance goes hand in hand with faith, with believing the good news that Jesus has given up his wealth in order that we might share in the riches of heaven. And Jesus looks at us and he loves us and he says to us, make me your treasure. Come to me. Stop trying to do your way into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. Instead, pin your hopes on what I have done for you and then you will have treasure in heaven. The greatest treasure of all. Jesus Christ himself. Will you pray? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that uh, what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians is true, that the grace of God is that Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor for our sakes, so that through his poverty we might have riches beyond knowledge. Father, we thank you that as the ultimate rich young man, he gave everything for us. And so we have every reason to put our hope in him. Help us, Lord God, to be people who always have our hope there and not in our own doing. And having put our hope there, we pray that it will be our delight to turn away from sin and to run to you each day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.